Good morning. Please pray with me. Lord, your word says, however, he was the one who lifted up your sickness, our sicknesses, and he carried our pain. Yet we ourselves assumed him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his wounds we were healed. Jesus, you have atoned for our sins at the cross. You suffered in being separated from your Father, so that those who respond to our Father's call would never have to be separated. You choose mercy over judgment. You pursue your lost sheep, every last one of the Lord's children. We praise your name for your humility, patience, and compassion. We are a people who are in desperate need of it. When we forget this in our sin, we pray for your mercy. And we pray for this humility, patience, and compassion. We praise your name and thank you that when we pray for it, we find it is already there. Jesus, we pray for you to be present in these requests we lift up to you. Praise for the birth of Ann Harrison Bradford to Mary Allison and Harrison Bradford. For the continued comfort, healing, and peace for Bill Hay, Sandra Norman, and Mike Witten as they battle cancer, and for their spouses, Cindy, Jerry, and Sandy, for Barbara and Richard Thompson's granddaughter, Hollis, as she has her fifth round of chemo on Monday. Please be with Hollis and ease her suffering with your presence. Please do the same for her family. For Kathy Gerardo, we pray for wisdom, insight, and a definitive diagnosis from her new surgical team. We pray for our missionaries, Wes and Jamie Baker, serving in Peru with the Trujillo Presbytery. We pray for healing and comfort for Micah Hatley, who has a bacteria infection and ulcer in one eye. And for our new elders and deacons to continually turn to you for wisdom, humility, and courage and leadership. We pray for these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, well, we're continuing our study of the book of Numbers and our worship services here, and we're getting really close to the end of the book, and so God's people are on the precipice of going into the promised land. They've now waited 40 years because of their rebellious hearts, and they're right on the edge of the land. They're about to go in, and so, of course, things are really exciting now. Uh, what would you anticipate? Maybe some battle plans, uh, maybe some military strategy. The people of God are on the outside. They're on the, the border outside the land, but very soon they're going to go in. And, and so anticipation is high. The people's energy level is up. And so you would expect something really significant in uh, chapters 28 and 29. And you have that. You have a list of all the holidays and sacrifices and animals to be offered for a sacrifice. Uh, it doesn't seem like the kind of thing that we'd want to focus on uh, if we were a large army of people about to go in and take a land. And, and maybe, uh, and that's our passage today, is Numbers 28 and 29. It's, it's really one narrative that st- sticks together that looks at all the special days and all the sacrifices and all the animals that, that were to be brought that God commanded them to bring uh, before him. And when you and I look at it, it might strike us as... Uh, overly detailed and burdensome. 
And that's largely because we forget the context and what it would have felt like for the people who trusted God, who believed in him. Because here's what we must remember. They've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years because of their own rebellion. But prior to that, they were the children of people who had lived in bondage and slavery. The descendants of those people that had been in bondage and slavery for over four centuries. And a big part of what we'll see in Numbers 28 and 29 is God tells people who have come out of slavery and bondage, rest, rest, rest. Don't do any work. Rest, rest, rest. There's going to be lots of moments for rest. And it would have meant the world to those people in their original situation. They would have heard that as a word of grace and a delicious gift. You're not a slave, people. You're my people, and there's lots of days to rest and rejoice and have feasts. And the feasts are significant because, think about it, they've been in the, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, eating floating crackers, eating manna. And you get to Numbers 28 and 29, and the Lord talks about the feast they're going to bring to him, the food they're going to bring to his presence. But the truth is, and you, got, you have to know a whole lot of other passages to fully grasp this, but the truth is God doesn't need anything. He's never hungry. Uh, they're bringing him uh, meals that say that they're in fellowship, that they're his people, and that he's their God. But on a lot of these occasions, the people would have had really big, sumptuous feasts. So think about it. God's rescued them from slavery and bondage, and he gives them a calendar that says, you get a lot of breaks. And he's led him through the wilderness where he's fed him with manna. And now he says, and we're going to have big feasts. It might appear burdensome to us, but to that original group of people, this would have been celebratory and joyous. But it's right before they go into the land. And it's a big priority to God himself. Let me pray, and then we'll look at these uh, passages together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Uh, please give us understanding of it today. Help us to see that all these details commanded by you had great meaning then and were wonderfully fulfilled by your own son. Show us what it means for us today, how we can live in light of your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to read uh, this. The verses here come from uh, chapter 28, and I'll try to tell you more about what's in chapter 28 and 29 Uh, As we move forward today, please uh, give your attention to God's word here from Numbers 28. Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, command the people of Israel and say to them, my offering, uh, the Hebrew word there means near bringing, my food for my food offerings, my pleasing aroma, you shall be careful to offer to me at its appointed time. And you shall say to them, this is the food offering that you shall offer to Yahweh, two male lambs a year old without blemish day by day as a regular offering. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. Also a tenth of ifa of, ifa of fine flour for a grain offering mixed with a quarter of a hen of beaten oil. It is a regular burnt offering. That word really means a going up, an ascension offering, which was ordained at Mount Sinai for a pleasing aroma. A food offering to Yahweh, its drink offering shall be a quarter of a hen for each lamb. In the holy place, you shall pour out a drink offering of strong drink to Yahweh. 
The other lamb you shall offer at twilight like the grain offering of the morning and like its drink offering. You shall offer it as a food offering with a pleasing aroma to Yahweh. On the Sabbath day, two male lambs a year old without blemish and two tenths of an ephah of fine flour for a grain offering mixed with oil and its drink offering. This is the burnt offering of every Sabbath besides the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. At the beginning of your months, you shall offer a burnt offering of to Yahweh, two bulls from the herd, one ram, seven male lambs, a year old without blemish. Verse 14, this is the burnt offering of each month throughout the months of the year. Also, one male goat for a sin offering to Yahweh, it should be offered besides the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. All flesh is like grass and all its glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. All right, so you get to Numbers 28 and 29. Uh, You don't have a military campaign yet, but you have these feasts, these Sabbaths, uh, these festivals. And so it it doesn't strike us as the most important literature, uh, but it was very important to God and it plays a very significant role. Here's what I want to do today. You see some words there on page 15, your worship guide. That's to help me describe what's going on in chapter 28 and in chapter 29. But it's not the outline. Today, I simply want to talk about the original practices. What is it that God commanded his people to do? Then I want to talk for a little bit about the fulfillment of these sacrifices, these offerings. And then I want to talk about our practices. What kind of practices can we engage in in light of this literature and the whole story of the Bible? So first of all, the original practices, we'll look at that for a little while, and then their fulfillment, and then our practices. That's our outline today. But on page 15, what I have summarized for you here is an overview, a pretty big picture overview of the original practices that God commanded. Please look with me there in verse 1 again. Again, Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, command the people of Israel and say to them, here's, the, here's my offerings, here's my food offerings. So once again, put yourself into that context. Everything that God commanded here was impossible in the wilderness. But he's taking them into the promised land. They're going to go into the promised land, and this is the kind of calendar they're going to keep. These are the festivals festivals they're going to keep. These are the practices they're going to do. So think about that for a minute. When God commands something of his people, he also provides so that we can fulfill his commandments. And that's exactly what's happening. For the people to hear this, it would have been an amazing word of hope. They could do the math, and Jewish scholars through the centuries have done the math, and they did it originally. The priests definitely had to. Uh, What they're hearing here is from year to year, once we go into the promised land, from year to year, we are going to bring Yahweh over a thousand lambs every year just for these prescribed worship services. Actually, it's 1,086 lambs. Every year, we're going to bring to Yahweh 113 bulls every year, 71 of those from one festival in the seventh month. Every year, we're going to bring to Yahweh over a ton of bread. And every year, we're going to bring Yahweh over a thousand bottles of oil and wine. What does that imply about the land where they're going? It's a land flowing with milk and honey. And when they go with Yahweh into the land that he's given them, it's going to produce abundantly 
for them. And so there's a lot of gracious promise tied up in these commandments. God isn't commanding something that's bad for them or burdensome for them. He's commanding them to do something very good. And we'll see there's lots of purpose to all these commandments, but part of it was it just anticipated the goodness of God. We're really going in. The land really will produce abundantly for us. We will live under God's blessing and will respond to God's blessing by bringing him these, the things he commands for his worship. Uh, for the people of God to follow these commandments was a great w- way for them to say, oh yes, Lord, you've blessed us just the way you said you Oh yes, Lord, you're very, very good to us and it's a delight to worship you. That's the kind of worship that God commanded and delighted in. But just for a minute, I want to look on page 15 here in your worship guide and summarize kind of how chapter 28 and 29 are laid out because actually it's, it's, it's got a great structure. It makes a lot of sense. So first of all, in the first half of chapter 28, what you have is the most frequent sacrifices and they're described pretty simply in a pretty straightforward way. What you have is a daily sacrifice, a weekly sacrifice that's added on top of that, and then a monthly sacrifice. And that's the, the beginning of the structure. And it's fascinating what goes on here. But here's the, the, the main thing I want you to see is, is the daily sacrifice. That's how the whole thing begins. This is, this is what God told his people to do. This is what God commanded his people to do. Every morning, bring me a perfect lamb, a perfect male lamb along with bread and wine. In other words, in one sense, God's people were going to bring him breakfast in the morning. Though God's not hungry, he didn't need anything out of their hands. And also bring it to me at twilight. So that ended up being uh, the early morning sacrifice, but also uh, the ninth hour sacrifice. Uh, And that's how you see it often in the New Testament. Uh, All kinds of important things happen at the ninth hour. And so that's what God's commanding here. A lamb every day, every single day for God's covenant people was lived in between the morning and evening sacrifice of a lamb. They're going to bring God a lamb with bread and wine. Does that sound like vaguely familiar to you? Does that ring any bells for you? A sacrificial lamb and bread and wine. That's what God mapped for his people, what he commanded for them every single day. They would bring this to the priest and the priest would do it on behalf of the whole covenant community. But the whole of God's covenant people's life was sealed up in between the sacrificial death of a lamb on their behalf. But their behalf. And what, and this is, it's the Ola sacrifice. It's almost always translated whole burnt offering. Well, that's what they did with it, but that's not what it's called. It's called the Ola. It's an ascension, ascension offering. They, they did burn the lamb up completely along with the bread, along with the drink and all of it ascended up into God's presence. And, and he, look at my fingers. He consumed it. God isn't hungry. He doesn't need any of our gifts. But that was a fellowship meal saying, hey, you're my people. You belong to me. I belong to you. I mean, who do you eat breakfast with? You eat breakfast with your people. Who do you eat dinner with? You eat dinner with your people, right? And that's, that's what God is doing here. But think about it also. What did they owe God? They owed God the creator of all things and their redeemer. They owed God the whole of their lives. So every day they brought a lamb, a male lamb, a year old without blemish, no defects. And they brought that lamb 
And they said, this is what you deserve. You deserve perfection. You deserve wholeness. That's what you deserve. You deserve whole, untainted perfection. And the lamb symbolized that. It ascended into God's presence. That's the worship God deserves. And it was a substitute in a second way. We've always failed to give you whole and perfect obedience in worship. So this lamb has died in our place and ascends into your presence. This lamb's a substitute for what we should offer you. And this lamb is a substitute because we never offer you what you deserve. Your glory far exceeds what we offer you. And so every day, a lamb in the morning and a lamb at night. Pretty remarkable. Well, there was also a weekly sacrifice, and that was on their Sabbath for them, the seventh day of the week. And you know what they did? Two more lambs on the Sabbath, done the same way. So on those days, there would have been four lambs because they did this, this other one in the morning and the evening every single day. No matter what else they did, the morning and evening sacrifice. But on the Sabbath, they added, they doubled it. Because that's the seventh day of the week, a very special day. And then in verses 11 through 15, uh, there's a reference to the monthly sacrifice. So they followed a lunar calendar. And on the the new moon, on the first day of the month, um, they added these things uh, to the, the, the two lambs that they did every single day. On the first day of the month, they offered two bulls, a ram, and seven more lambs, plus the regular ascension, Ola, whole burnt offering. So that's what they did. That's the daily and the weekly and the monthly. And every time they did it, they did it with bread, a grain and oil offering and drink. So sometimes we read the Old Testament, we're like, ephahs and hens. Who in the world knows what an ephah and a hen is, right? And you have to go, you know, you go look through like a Bible dictionary or your study Bible and find out. But let me simplify this for you because actually if you read it, it's kind of obvious just reading in the English text. But, but here's what they did. When they brought an animal to Yahweh, if the animal was big, the bread offering was big and the drink offering was big. Bulls came with the biggest amount of bread and the biggest amount of wine because that makes sense. And guess what rams did? Rams were medium size. So they got that you offered the ram and then a medium amount of bread and a medium drink because that made sense. And the lambs were the smallest. And when they brought the lambs, they brought the smallest amount of bread and the smallest amount of drink. And that's basically what's, ha- what's, your, what's narrated in these two chapters over and over and over again. God is saying, you come and bring before me a fellowship meal. We'll be remembering every day. And then in a double way, on the seventh day every week, and in a very unique way, on the first day of every month, you'll remember that you're my people and that I'm your God, that we're in fellowship and that atonement must be made for you because I'm a holy God and you're an imperfect people over and over and over again. And then if you notice in our passage we read down there in verse 15, it said also one male goat for a sin offering to Yahweh. Uh, that's mentioned 13 times in these two chapters, over and over again, the, 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 the Ola, the Tamid, the, uh, the whole burnt offering that had atoning uh, value to it, but also the goat, uh, for the, for the sin for atonement. And so over and over again, God was saying, I'm a holy God, you're a sinful people, but I'm going to provide, uh, sacrifices Uh, to satisfy my righteous wrath against sin. And so you'll know that we can be in fellowship. So what are we going to do? We're going to eat a whole lot of meals together because we're in fellowship together. And that's what these things mean over 
and over again. That's the frequent. Now let me bust down uh, to the annual, okay? If you look on page 15, in the middle of chapter 18, verse 16, down to almost the very end of chapter 29, you've got these uh, regular festivals that are named. And let me just describe real quickly what's going on here. Um, the first one named the annual festival, I call it here Passover. Sometimes it's called the Feast of Passover. Technically, Passover was one day where they remembered they were rescued from Egypt because of the blood of a slain lamb. So Passover was one day, and then they had sometimes called the Feast of Passover, but technically the Feast of Unleavened Bread. For the next seven days, they would eat bread that was basically flat bread. They'd eat crackers. Why? Because they remembered when God saved them by his great power, he saved them quickly. They didn't have time for their bread to rise, so they ate unleavened bread. So every year, look at it, it's the beginning of their year. It's the first month of their religious calendar every year. And what are they doing? They're remembering their salvation and they're remembering that it happened quickly and had to run and get out and escape Egypt. So if you want to write something to the right of that first line there under annual, at Passover and unleavened bread during the first month, the feast helped them remember their salvation. What has God commanded? God has commanded an event where you have to remember what he's done to save you. That may sound burdensome, but from God's perspective, it's something that's really significant that you need. God commands that you remember that he rescued you and it changed your life really quickly. So then uh, the next part of the passage is still at the bottom of chapter 28. You have the Feast of Weeks. And so uh, there were really two first fruits things. One was earlier, uh, they waved the first sheaf of barley. This is a little bit later uh, when they would uh, offer the first uh, sheaf of wheat. And then they would go into a feast of weeks uh, for seven days and had all these sacrifices that they offered. And what's really going on here is they're trusting in God for his provision. They're acknowledging uh, that God who brought the beginning of the harvest will bring the whole harvest. So they're waving the first fruits of it in front of him and celebrating his provision and looking for him to generously provide for them all these things he's commanded of them. And let's keep moving down. And then that was in the third month, roughly. Now, the last three were all in the seventh month. Don't miss that. They had special offerings every week on the seventh day of the week on their Sabbath. And in the seventh month, they had very special things. So on the first day of the month, they blew trumpets. Uh, Numbers 10 tells us what this, the, the meaning of this commandment is. They blew trumpets. Why did God's people blow trumpets? The trumpets were musical prayers. They cried out to God. This is what God commanded them to do. Cry out to me with trumpets so I'll remember to bless you. I think I find that hilarious. How much does God want you to know that he remembers you and it's his plan to bless you? He has you blow trumpets that are musical prayers that ask him to remember you so that he will bless you. He commands you to do that. I mean, I think that's, to me, that's kind of like how you talk to your five-year-olds, right? You know, you give them these rules that really just for their safety and their good. And that's what's going on here. The first day of the seventh month, first of every month is special, but the seventh month is very special. And that's described in 29, one through six. And they blow trumpets and the trumpets tell God, remember us. Uh, we're, we're remembering to remind you to remember us and bless us. And there's two more really significant things in the seventh month. Um, the fir- after the first 10 days of the seventh month, it leads to the day of the atonement. 
Uh, the day of the atonement is one of the most significant uh, days. It's, it's described in Le- Leviticus 16. It's the very center of that book. Some people think it's the very center of the whole Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And it describes all that God prescribes uh, to clean up his people and cleanse his holy spaces, making atonement for his people. Very important. And then finally, uh, there's this, this feast, that same month, the seventh month, the Feast of Booths. And what's going on there? Remember how their year began? It's beginning, Passover and unleavened bread. And what happened when they, the bread didn't have time to rise and they, they, they ran out into the wilderness. And what they do? They lived in tents. So now at the end of the seventh month, they have a whole week-long festival where doesn't matter how, once they settle in the land, no matter how wealthy they got, no matter how nice of a home they were able to build themselves and their families, for a whole week they would live in quickly made lean-tos, little tents, little booths. Everybody would go out and they would remember, oh, we were slaves in Egypt, but God brought us in the wilderness and we, he, he took care of us in the wilderness for 40 years. We lived in tents like this, but our sandals didn't wear out and he provided for us and he kept us as his people until he brought us to the land. All of these things that God commanded his people were designed to help their memory. My first year here, I heard Dave Driscoll, one of our pastors, uh, say this like five times, and I loved it more every time. He said, you know, we all suffer from gospel amnesia. God knows that. He knows that we'll forget how good he is. He knows that we'll forget how gracious he is. He knows that we will forget that he's the one who supplies all our needs. God knows that we have spiritual amnesia and we forget. And so what he gave his people was a whole calendar, not of burdens, but of breaks, Sabbaths, rest, and feasts, celebrations to remember that he's rescued us, to remember that he supplies our needs, to remember that he is good. And so uh, that's how the calendar worked. And that's what God was up to. Maybe you've been able to detect there was a little bit more going on in all of that calendar because of slain lambs and atonement and forgiveness of sins and fellowship meals and all that. And so that leads us to the second point, the fulfillment of this whole calendar and all of these sacrifices. And there is a great fulfillment in the New Testament. I'm just curious. It's the third Sunday of January. You don't have to shout out loud, but how how many lambs have you brought to worship this month so far? Let's see. We're 21 days in, so I guess everyone's already done... Yeah, 42 lambs. Thank you for that. Um, and then, of course, on the south, no lambs? I'm just curious, how many bulls have you sacrificed? How many bulls have you sacrificed in, in 2023? H- how many goats for atonement did you sacrifice in 2022 or 2021 or in the whole of your life? Isn't that remarkable? There's no altar here. There's no place to sacrifice animals. All of these sacrificial deaths, all these animals, think about it. They, did a, they sacrificed a lamb in the morning and a lamb at night every single day. Next day, you better do that again. Next day, you better do that again. Every Sabbath, they added two lambs to the daily sacrifice. Next Sabbath, you better do it again. 
Next day, you better do it again. And every month, in the first day of the month, all these sacrifices. But next month, you better do it again. Why? Because the blood of bulls and goats and lambs and rams can't really satisfy the wrath of God. They can't really deal with your conscience. They can't really wipe all your sin away. But God had a plan to do all of that in perfection. And this whole calendar and all of its symbolism was always pointing to God's greater plan, which was to send his son to take your sin away perfectly and completely. Do you remember what the last prophet of the old covenant said? John the Baptist, when Jesus came to him out in the wilderness, Jesus came to John the Baptist where he was proclaiming a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus walks out and John, that great last prophet of the old covenant said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He had come to deal with it finally and perfectly. That's who Jesus is. The great and final lamb. Uh, He didn't bleat or say bah. It's a metaphor saying he's the one. This was the plan. All of those slaughtered lambs were pointing forward to this real, true, and final sacrifice. And Jesus is the one who offered himself as such a lamb. Uh, The apostle Peter spoke these words. He wrote it in 1 Peter 1. uh, You were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was made manifest in the last times for your sake. You've been wondering, hey, how will the holy God really, really cleanse us from our sins and finally uh, offer us his perfect forgiveness? The answer is in his own son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. If you will, just for a minute, on this fulfillment theme, turn back to page five in your worship, God. I just want you to look with me at what the Apostle Paul, we have John the Baptist, we have uh, Peter, and now here's the apostle Paul, everyone in the new Testament writes about these things. John does it. The epistle of the Hebrews do it. Every, every letter points to Jesus as a fulfillment of this whole system of sacrifices and offerings. But look what Paul does. Uh, we, today, Richard read from you Ephesians four twenty-eight to five, two jump down with me to verse 32. Here's what the apostle Paul wrote Ephesians four thirty-two, and then through five, two. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. How has God forgiven you? In Christ, Jesus Christ, the great and perfect and final sacrifice. 5.1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. What's the supreme example of love? As the Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. How? Listen to this language. An offering and a sacrifice to God as a pleasing aroma. If you go home today and read Numbers 28 and 29, that phrase, a pleasing aroma, comes up 11 times. What's Paul saying? The ultimate sacrifice that honors God and pleases God and sacrifices him and satisfies him is when his own son offers himself in our behalf. Remember what that lamb meant in the morning and the evening? You deserve perfect worship and perfect obedience. The whole of me, he got it through his own son and our humanity. Remember what the lamb in the morning and the evening meant? I've never given you what you deserve. So there'll be a substitute. There'll be a life offered in my place. And that's who Jesus Christ is. Now, just to go back to that, that morning and evening sacrifice, uh, in, often in Hebrew it's called the tamid, the whole complete 
uh, ascension offering. That's what it was in the morning and the evening. And the, the second one was often re- referred to as happening in the ninth hour. They, they, they brought the lamb in the morning and they brought the lamb in the ninth hour. They sacrificed the lamb in the morning every day and the lamb in the ninth hour. Does anybody remember what the gospel writers, when the gospel writers tell us that Jesus died, the hour that he died? The ninth hour. Jesus, the lamb of God, who is a pleasing aroma, who offered himself as an offering and a sacrifice, pleasing to God. If you are struggling with guilt and you believe in Jesus, I want you to hear this. Jesus God, Jesus Christ is the perfect lamb of God and his death on your behalf is perfect and complete, a pleasing aroma to God and you're completely accepted by God in him. Your sins do not count against you. They've been dealt with in perfection. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who deals with it in his own life and death and body. And that leads us to our third point today, uh, which is our practices. Uh, You may have noticed at the very end of the passage, even there on page 15, at the bottom it says the voluntary. If you read uh, chapter Numbers 29, 39, after all these prescribed sacrifices every day on the Sabbath, first day of the month and all the annual festivals, after that in Numbers 29, 39, Yahweh says, now besides all that, don't forget the free will stuff, the voluntary. And so that God's people on top of this, they'd be so richly blessed in all kinds of ways uh, they could bring sacrifices to the priest to be offered on their behalf. And so I want to pick up on that between you and me. Uh, there's a reason we don't sacrifice lambs and bulls and goats in our worship services. Jesus Christ is the perfect and final sacrifice that's been dealt with completely. But now I want you to Look with me at the front of our worship God, the very front before the call to worship. Uh, you may not have noticed this, but we sneak quotes in there uh, for you to read and meditate on. I want to look, look at those three uh, passages there as we think about our practice. We've, we looked at the original practices, what God's people did, what he commanded. We see the fulfillment in Jesus Christ, but what now about us? What kind of sacrifices will we offer? We're not going to offer lambs and bulls and goats. Jesus has done that in perfection, but there is a way that this overlaps with our worship. Look what Paul writes in his letter to the Romans. Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Paul's right there. In Romans 1 through 8, Paul has described God's mercy, God's saving power in great detail. He's essentially said God sent his son to do all that was required of us and to pay because we did not do it. And so that's described in phenomenal detail and even how it will transform our lives in Romans 1 through 8. And then uh, after a unique aside about Israel and Gentiles, he comes back in 12.1 and says, in light of all of God's mercy, I urge you, I appeal to you, what? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Okay, you don't bring lambs and goats and bulls anymore, but what do you offer? Your bodies. What does Paul mean? You're going to crawl up on an altar? Nope. He means your whole self. What is your reasonable response to the grace and mercy and the goodness of God and his salvation? You offer yourself, your bodies, your, your whole self. 
everywhere all the time, you now, you've been bought with a price and you know that God claims the whole of your life and so your worship is to offer your whole self. Uh, look at this next one, First Peter says the same thing but in a different way. What are the sacrifices? You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. You're God's new temple. God's rescued you and you're like a living stone and God is making you his new temple. But you're not just the new household of God, but also to be a holy priesthood. There are no, no priests in our churches. No, we're all priests. You yourselves are God's new temple. You yourselves are God's new holy priesthood to do what? To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Still lots of imperfection on our part but we offer the whole of ourselves, you yourselves, we offer ourselves to God through Jesus Christ. How's your prayer life? You can offer your prayers through Jesus Christ. How's your deep, deep spirituality? You you struggle? Offer it through Jesus Christ. Did you get distracted at all today when you were singing God's praise and listening to an enthralling sermon? You can offer your praise and you must through Jesus Christ. You offer the whole of yourself to God through Jesus Christ. He's perfect. He's the perfect priest. And you now, all of us as priests, we offer God our gratitude through Jesus Christ. I I want you to know my gratitude's far from perfect. How about yours? We offer our prayers through Jesus Christ. We offer our gratitude through Jesus Christ. We offer the whole of ourselves back to God, but not apart from Jesus Christ. No, but through him. But it's the whole of ourselves. And look at this last one, Hebrews 13, 16. I'll read it in one second. Hebrews 1 through 12 says over and over again, Jesus is the great and final priest. Jesus is the great and final sacrifice. He's fulfilled the whole system. He's brought it all to its appropriate end. That's what Jesus Christ has done. And then, here's what he writes, the epistle of the Hebrews. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So offer your whole selves, offer your lives. And if you want to get concrete and specific, you can do good as a sacrifice, an offering of praise that you offer God through Jesus Christ and share. I want you to know, It's been a privilege to watch you do this the last three and a half years. Do all kinds of good and share. Uh, If you'll come to the Missions Festival uh, in February, and I hope you will, you'll get a lot more detailed report on this. But let me give you one example where I've been watching the grace of God at work in you and watching you do good and share what you have. You'll get more details later. Um, But this past year, 2023, Uh, This congregation gave the most you've ever given in the history of the church. You just overflow with generosity because of your appreciation for God and his goodness and his grace in your life. So 2023, you gave the most you've ever given to your church and you should be commended. Uh, You were doing good and sharing. But before 2023, over the last couple of years, you gave so generously that we, your church together, Covenant Press, we've given away of surplus giving over a million dollars. Before this year, biggest year ever in giving, we've given away over a million dollars the last two years of surplus money to our missional partners locally and globally. Wonderful. 
Uh, you've been living in this grace and I commend you to do it and to keep doing it with joy. Uh, this is what it is to be God's people. What a joyful thing it is to acknowledge him, to acknowledge his goodness and his generosity by doing good and sharing with those who have need. Got to end the sermon. I sure wish there, I just wish there were like some like real tangible illustration that would point to like the sacrifice of a lamb and the significance of like bread and wine. If only we had that every week. What a privilege it is to be God's people, to know that we belong to him and that he offers himself to us. Would you join me and let's meet him at his table. Lord Jesus, we confess that you are the ultimate lamb of God, the son of God who offered yourself in love for us to take away our sin, to clean, cleanse us and make us your very own. How thankful we are that we have bread to eat today to help us remember and to receive fresh grace from you in the spirit. How thankful we are for this cup to help us remember that you shed your blood for our sins, but also by faith to receive fresh grace from you today to become the generous, gracious, kind community you've rescued us to be. Help us do this by faith in the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.